welcome each of you, and thank you for being a part of this worship time together. You may be seated. Uh, today, we want to go right ahead with our Pathfinders and Explorers class, and they'll go on to their time together. And thanks so much to Miss Karen for leading the class today. We've been talking through this month about one of the great themes of Scripture, one of the powerful principles that we see in the life of Jesus that actually defines what our most significant challenges are now as followers of Jesus in this generation. I think it defines exactly what every church, including this congregation, needs most in order to break out of any pattern we may find ourselves in, whether it's a, a pattern of apathy, whether it's a pattern of discouragement, whether it's a pattern of disillusionment in some cases. As Justin mentioned in leading this time of worship, everyone faces various trials and adversities that can impinge upon how we see and seize the initiative of a brand new day. So I want to invite you today to open your Bible to John chapter 13 to begin with. We're actually going to trace through uh, a bit of review and then three key principles, action-oriented responses that come directly from biblical images that we'll be looking at here. But of necessity, we'll, we'll track through about four different main passages, one in John, one in Matthew, one in Luke, and then 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 to 17. So it's a little bit of a recap of, uh, or a precap of today for you. But the key I want to begin with today is John 13, 17, because it is, it is a, I see it as a broad statement about what we might call in our day real success. What is real success? We've talked here together as we've explored this out of a very significant passage in Romans that's not as well known, where Jesus Christ made himself a servant Romans 15.8 says, made himself a servant to the Jewish people among whom he was born and raised in the natural sense. So among his ethnic, immediate ethnic identity, Jesus made himself a servant under circumcision, though he knew that their rejection of him and his mission would be virtually wholesale, with some exceptions at the beginning. Now, that statement then is a kind of a springboard to see to understand more clearly what he did in John 13. When you open your Bible to the 13th chapter of John, of course, it's very familiar because we know that the chapter begins with the, with the Lord himself literally with his very clothing, we might say, demonstrating the truth of his stepping down from the prerogative of being God, disrobing, we might say, disrobing of the prerogative of equality with God, John 13 goes right along with Philippians 2.6 where the Bible says being in the form of God, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant. Now that word doulos in the Greek, the servant word, is what's used here in John 13 when he says he speaks of washing the feet of the disciples as a vivid illustration of a serving motivation. And we want to look at why that's true here. But first, I 
believe as we take the 17th verse of John 13, we can get from this a very broad principle that we can apply to life that can very simply redefine how we see success. What is success? If we ask that question in an open-ended way, we could get a lot of different answers depending on a person's perspective and whether it has to do with their personal achievement or their personal wealth or or uh, the success of a business, the success of a church, a, a ministry, an enterprise, it, it, it's, its growth and development. All of these things, they're all valid. They're all, they all have valid applications. But there's a basic way in which truths like we're exploring about the servant nature of Jesus can really aid us in breaking out of places of discouragement or of uh, inactivity, passivity, as I touched on two weeks ago, and sharpening that servant vision to help us understand that God defines success as giving back to him out of the overflow of what he's provided us a willing heart that fulfills his will with joy. So we might put it this way, when Jesus said to the disciples, after I after he washed their feet and after Peter refused at first to let him wash his feet because he misunderstood the, the whole dynamic of serving, Peter was interpreting what we often do, serving in a manner of diminishing the dignity of the servant. And Jesus in this upper room encounter literally transforms the meaning of servanthood to one that shows us its ultimate blessing is that it elevates everyone involved if it's done with the right heart. Now that that gives us a, a key thing to understand. Jesus demonstrated that real servanthood can never be forced. It can never be coerced. It can never be grabbed by someone wanting to be served. No, the real servanthood he models is the servanthood of choice, the heart responding to the goodness of God, giving back to God freely from a grateful heart the abilities, the talents, the capabilities, the desires, the potential that is within your heart and your life. So again, back to that 17th verse, a broad way we might take this verse is to understand Jesus says that following his example of servanthood is the path to permanent and powerful blessing. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Would you just read that aloud with me from the screen today? If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Now, now I believe that 17th verse is like a, it's like a broad brushstroke on the canvas of the kingdom of God in which the master artist leaves for us a clear delineation of the path to success. That real success is 
if you know these things, if you, if you have perceived what I've done, again, disrobed himself of the prerogative that he rightfully had, chose of his own volition to, to kneel before the disciples who needed him immeasurably in their lives, demonstrated to them in the act of taking not a, not a ritual act of serving, not something designed for a ceremony, but in that culture, the, the dailiness of the need of those who walk the dusty roads of Galilee and Judea that everyone needed their feet washed when they come into a dwelling in the evening, and most people just wash their own feet. And in, a, and in a hospitable way, we know from Luke 7 and other passages, that it was understood that a, a high act of hospitality was to offer water to your guests for them to be able to be comfortable washing their feet. And an even higher would be to offer to wash their feet. But now Jesus, the, the ultimate model of success, the most successful human being who's ever lived, demonstrated that in the very nature of the succeeding of his mission was this indelible act and practice and attitude of choosing to do the menial task, the unglamorous act, the labor of a house servant to come along and choose not only to wash one guest's feet, but in that case in the upper room to wash the feet of all 12 disciples, including the one he knew, would go out within less than three hours and take money for the betrayal of his master. Now, in that act, he says, if you know these things, do them. <laughs> do what? what? What kind of things, Jesus? What I've just done for you, which is a picture I'd like to suggest to you of what I call the Jesus ethic. Very simply, the Jesus ethic. In that, we've often said it's very important to understand in, in, in biblical, in, in sound doctrine to understand that the that our redemption in Christ, our forgiveness of sin, is not based on any acts of merit in us. It is, back, it is totally based upon what our Savior in substitutionary sacrifice did for us. And then it, this is why the, the Scripture tells us in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short, short of the glory of God. Every human being misses the mark in an astronomically and indescribably catastrophic way. And the very next verse of Romans 3, verse 24 says, But being freely redeemed through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, whom God the Father sent as a sacrifice of atonement for us, so that his shed blood would redeem for all sin those that were overlooked in the time before the coming of Christ, those that were passed over and future and present sins. So the third chapter of Romans concludes by saying the reason God demonstrated his redeeming power this way is so that it would be seen, Romans 3.27, that God is both righteous 
And at the very same moment, he's the justifier of the ungodly. He never loses his righteousness. He uses, through the grace of Christ, the shed blood of his son as the redeeming solution for the depth of the sinfulness of the human heart. So we say that because there is no aspect of following the example of Jesus that saves us. That's not the issue. The issue is, quite simply, will we succeed in this life as spirit-filled followers of the Lord Jesus? By succeeding, obviously, I mean not some definition of success that comes out of carnal need or human desire or human comparison, but the success, let's just say it this way, of fulfilling our mission. The success of fulfilling our God-given mission. Real success, the kind of success that tells us the meaning of life and works in all aspects of life, both in the convenient times and in the times of adversity. So this Jesus ethic is what we'll explore here for a few moments. Then we'll look at the, we want to reject an either-or myth, that is, the myth that, that real servanthood is, a, is somehow uh, sending you off into a, an existence in which you are enslaved to other people or other people's expectations, and it's the opposite of real success. And another either-or myth here is the either-or between serving God or worshiping God. There's quiet contemplation, there is knowing Him, and there is serving Him, and it's not either-or, it's both-and. And then we'll look at 1 Peter 1 about what I think of as the speediness of being a sojourner. That's a, that's a fun thing we'll talk about a little bit. I think a, an illustration that um, really, to me, puts into focus the eternal significance of why we need to talk about success today. It goes back to the um, early phase of the 1940s, even probably, actually, probably in the 1930s, actually, when the, when the nation of Japan, the imperial Japan, was, was taking over huge swaths of, of territory in the Far East. And they had conquered Korea, the Korean Peninsula, and um, they were gradually tightening the grip of tyrannical control over the Korean people. And during that military occupation of Korea, there were over 5,000 Baptists, evangelical followers of the Lord Jesus, who worshipped in approximately 40 churches that were still doing what they had done before, but with much restricted freedom, just as we see today is happening in places like Afghanistan, as, uh, as we should be praying for the believers across Afghanistan in this horrific time of great danger and great uh, increasing tyrannical danger in their lives. Similar challenges as, as that. Well, in the Japanese occupation of Korea, they would uh, interrogators brought the presence of the Baptist Christian churches before them for interrogation about their internal activities in their churches. So here are churches now uh, under great duress 
Thank you. 